This is Beth Bruno, and you're listening to the Fierce and Lovely Podcast. I dream of a time when women rest in each other's presence without judgment, comparison, competition, or fear. When we are known and celebrated, when we lay down our shields of protection from the battle, but also from each other, when we can lament without shame and laugh without guilt, when we are one storyline, fierce and lovely women of God. Join me as I talk with fierce and lovely women from around the world. with Sandra Maria Van Opstel. Sandra is a second-generation Latina, a mother, a wife. She lives on the west side of Chicago and is a pastor at Grace and Peace Community Church. She is a well-known speaker and activist. She is also an author and wrote the book, The Next Worship, contributed to Still Evangelical and a number of other books. Her heart is her city, her community, and she speaks um, and is probably most well-known for um, her heart to integrate worship and justice. I hope you enjoy our conversation. Before we go to that, I wanted to let you know that this is the last episode um, for the next month or so. I'll be taking June off and then bringing to you in July an On the Road series. My family is taking our first kind of mini sabbatical and we are heading to Scotland and France. I know, I know, hard life. Um, We have places to stay in both of those countries, which is what led us there. But we're super excited and I am super excited to get to know some stories of women in both of those places and hope to bring you some live, raw cut of On the Road um, for the month of July. And we will resume in August with our regular podcast series of the fascinating Fierce Women fierce and lovely women that I get to talk to. So thanks for listening. And here's my conversation with Sandra. Well, Sandra Maria Van Opsel, welcome to the podcast. It's great to be here with you. (laughs) Thanks for joining me today. Let's start off with you sharing a little bit more about who you are. Sure. Um, I am a pastor, a mother, a wife, an author, an activist um, who does everything um, she can do on the west side of Chicago here where I'm living and neighboring. Everything that she can do. What does that mean? (laughs) Um, I think part of it is, uh, you know, living a life that's integrated um, because we are so many things, you know, uh, we wear so many hats, we spin so many plates. And um, for me, what's important is to do that in a space where I feel like, um, I'm able to be close to the transformation that happens around me. So you said you are uh, neighboring and ministering and living in this neighborhood on the west side. And that is where kind of just the, the frame of your life is happening, right? Yes. Tell me a little bit about your heart in all of that. I know, you know, I hear a lot about community development and the ministry of proximity. And I hear that in what you're saying. So talk to me a little bit more about what that means to you. 
Yeah, well, um, I am the daughter of two immigrants that uh, came from Latin America. And I think foundationally and um, just formationally, that has been the most important part of my story. Um, it's the lens and the location from which I see things. And so for me, um, watching my parents develop and not only survive, but really thrive in a world that was so different than them and looking at our um you know, our country, the church, all those things from the perspective of folks who are often on the outsides or on the margins that deeply shaped how I formed as a person of faith. So um, I think that that experience growing up in a neighborhood like the one that I currently live in, moving out to a suburb where I was, um, folks like myself and my family were not highly represented, kind of learning to survive and thrive in that world and then moving back into the current neighborhood that I live in, all those are a part of my um, my passion of building bridges, my passion of overturning tables, <laughs> um, my passion of trying to integrate faith and justice and and um, you know kind of discipleship and formation and um, change and activism and social engagement. They're they're all a part of my story. I think fundamentally because it's what I experienced in my life growing up. And so you are doing that wearing the the various hats of pastor and author and speaker, um, and that's kind of your your message. I think you're probably most well known for your integrating worship and justice. And I know you've written about that. You speak a lot about that. Is that is that your role at the church? Is that are you a pastor of of worship, or is there a certain title that you carry yeah. as pastor? No, interest, interestingly, I have. I think I've only led worship at my church twice in the six years that I've been there. And um, that was when I had um, guest teams that were coming in that we were kind of preparing for some kind of global event or national event like the CCDA uh, National Conference or something like that. And we, we happened to be rehearsing in the church building. So I said, hey, can we lead on Sunday since we're here? Um, but no, actually, I was the executive pastor of Grace and Peace Church um, in the Hermosa, Austin area for five years. And basically what I was doing was coaching and supporting and elevating the voices of leaders that are indigenous to this community, that are homegrown leaders, that um, many of them typically won't, um, because of their families are here, their work is here, their life is here, they wouldn't leave to go off to seminary, let's say, and then come back. So what I was trying to do is to figure out how could I support this fantastic work that I'm seeing here in my own neighborhood, oftentimes um, unseen by most of uh, kind of popular Christianity, how can I elevate and just support that work? And so that's why I came in to be a pastor at Grace and Peace was it's the neighborhood I lived in. It was the work I was doing when I was the director of the Chicago Urban Program with InterVarsity. I was connecting with Grace and Peace as a, as a community partner. And I saw this fantastic work they were doing. And I said, you know, I really want to be a part of that. And so when I graduated from seminary, I you know, that's kind of how that happened. I ended up there. And then over the last year, as my preaching and speaking and writing has increased, I've moved into a position as a preaching pastor because I'm just not able to be present. Um, and, you know, I think, as I said earlier, for me, presence is everything. And so you just, if you're, if you're constantly gone, you're missing a lot of what's happening in the community. And um, yeah, so I, I thought one way I can continue to be a part of my church community and utilize my my gifts here is to stay in a preaching role but 
really at this point, I we already trained up other pastors to be in the positions and, and to occupy the spaces that I had once occupied. So working mm, myself out of the job. I love that. <laughs> that that's, yeah, that's a great goal. I don't think a lot of people in ministry see that as a, as a goal necessarily, but what a great one and what a privilege to be able to do that, to augment the voices of those who are who have long lived in the community and have a lot to offer. But so, okay, so you're not leading worship at your church, but you have a heart for it and a background in music. Um, what does it look like for you to integrate worship and justice? What do you mean by that? Um, how does that play itself out in your speaking and writing um, and activism? Yeah. Tell me more about that. Well, I think, I mean, primarily as a, as a, as a theologian and as a person who has studied the scriptures and who has thought, like, I just, you know, want to wrap my brain around what it means to be a person of faith. Um, I understand worship as formation. Worship is formation. So what we practice together when we congregate, what we say to one another about who God is and what we say to God, what we pray, uh, what we sing, what we read, what we don't say and what gets left out um, and what's omitted from our worship practices, they form us as people. So um, an example I give to someone is, you know, if, if you grew up singing a song like my son often sings a song, you know, yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. The Bible tells me so. The songs that we sing then form him not only to know that Jesus loves him, but that song um, really creates in him an understanding of faith as an individualistic thing. If if you sing songs, like we have a song we sing to him in Spanish, um, and the song says, let us give thanks to God, let us give thanks to God. Um, the birds that sing in the morning, they give thanks to God. The plants as they open up in the afternoon, they give praise to God. Let all give praise and thanks to God. So it that song not only is oriented differently around, you know, kind of how we understand our faith, but the the pronoun in that song is is consistently we, our. Um, and so it develops, I think, in him a sense that faith is not only individualistic, but it is also collective. So that is a very simple example that I give to people to say, you know, we're forming people by what we're practicing in worship. And therefore, um, if what we form in people is that worship is about you and God and your experience with God and how much you love God, that transcends to a lifestyle that is really insul can be very in insular and individualistic. But if what we form in people through practices of worship, which include the sermon, obviously, but are not solely found in the teaching of the word, um, that we can form people um, and give people a, a biblical vision, which is a communal vision of the people of God um, who are living in the world in a way that points to a coming thing um, and a God of compassion and justice. So I think that's what I mean by putting the two together. It's the practices of worship form us and we're, we're forming something, you know, we're going to form something. So the question is, what are we forming in the people that we gather um, whether that be in a church on a Sunday or in a youth group on a Friday, or even in your own home small groups, like what are what kind of disciples or followers uh, in faith are we forming? Obviously, that would involve a lot of rhetoric, a lot of the the words that we choose, just like your two examples of pronouns, focusing on different pronouns. But what else does that incorporate um, beyond how we're actually 
talking about God's word or perhaps even how we're focusing on some scripture versus other scripture. What else does that involve, if you know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, I think that could involve, for example, a, a practice, um, for example, that happens in in wor- worship or liturgy of like coming to the Lord's table or communion, how you practice that it, without saying anything at all. Like the idea that you would be moving up towards something if you're going up to receive communion or if the communion is coming to you, um, if you receive it as an individual or if you receive it as families. Um, I think that could be another um, expression of of something that's in, embodied. Um, I think uh, sometimes actually nothing being said, which is which is just silence and space being held, um, is a, a discipline which happens in worship. But for my where, where I focus my time is really in in liturgy and congregational worship. How do those things? Or you know, Bible studies and all those. How do those Christian disciplines, let's say, how do those things form disciples that will actually embody a lifestyle of compassion and justice? Because I believe that we're formed in those spaces, and how we live, therefore, is a result of how we were formed. Even if we don't know what's happening, like we just repeat the words to ourselves over and over, and we go out and we go and live in a certain way, or. If we never see anyone in our church, for example, we never congregate in spaces or displace ourselves in spaces where there's someone that's socioeconomically different than we are, then we're never confronted just by presence and proximity. We're never confronted with things that would cause us to ask new questions or to wonder new things about who God is and what his, you know, what what the role of the of the believer is in the world. So. Um, that's my my particular area of expertise is looking at how do we create spaces that form people through music, art, visual art, dance, ser- even sermons, you know, like those things. Um, how do we create spaces that form people? And and the reality that we just are forming people. I mean, we form our kids every day in our homes by what we do and say and what we forget to say and do and by how we spend our time and what we expose them to and what we don't expose them to. And what we choose to ignore, and what we hope they don't see. So, in your in this specialty, your your expertise in this area, I imagine you do a lot of consulting. Just naturally, you're talking with different groups of people, different ministries or churches about how to begin to make small changes, how to begin to incorporate some of this thinking differently. Yeah, for sure. The work I do could be with um, institutions like, um, you know, Christian colleges or seminaries or churches, but it's also with um, community organizations that are trying to do things in neighborhoods that are thinking about the kind of spaces they create, which which may or may not be faith based, but they're trying to create spaces that are building um, safety and inclusion for uh, folks that are wanting to come in. I'd love to hear an example, a story of an organization or agency or church that has made that shift, begun to integrate, begun to transform. Can you give us like a snapshot of what that has looked like in one particular place that you've been involved in? Yeah, there are lots of churches that I've seen and in particular, um, I mean, it's churches not only... um, kind of historical denominations, but even church plants that are doing where they're trying to incorporate, um, for example, instead of just praying for things that are happening on the news, 
Um, they're trying to incorporate um, worship and liturgy that would allow people to hold space with the with the with the brokenness that we see in the world around us. So there are many churches, I think, that are doing things like how can we understand um, this particular song that we sing so regularly as as meaningful to again myself and God. How can we sing that song in a way that um, allows us to hold space for a God who sees not only us and our need in our particular situation, but how can we utilize the the lyrics and the space of that song to stand in solidarity with those who are, you know, suffering in Sri Lanka right now, or mothers who are, have lost children to gun violence, um, if that's what's happening, you know, that particular week or that particular season? What does it look like for us to stand in solidarity and in mutuality with our brothers and sisters around the world and in our neighborhoods who are experiencing different things so that the the practice of worship becomes um, more than just about someone's own personal lived experience? So I, 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 there's lots of there are lots of churches that have done things like that with particular special liturgies, with um, opening up prayer time, with... Um, you know, kind of uh, things around the Lord's Supper that they've done. And I, I just think it's exciting to see people exploring new things. Another one would be, you know, churches that want to incorporate because they're saying, you know, we're losing a lot of our younger, you know, our younger generations, like our children. And so they don't want to be in our space. They don't want to be in church. And so really advising them to ask questions about what would it look like for the young, the youth and the young adults in your church to to shape what the experiences look like at church, not only on a Sunday morning, but what do small groups look like for our church? And what does it mean to be a small group? Is a small group a Bible study or is is a small group or a life group or a community group something more than a Bible study? And what does it look like for us to be engaged in our community around us um, through activism and through vigil and through prayer and things like that. So there, there are tons of churches I think are doing that. I think an institution like North Park University that has been on a journey for about a decade of asking what does um, worship that doesn't, not only that includes people of different backgrounds, but worship that stands with people um, different experiences in the world. What does that look like? And I think they've been on a fantastic journey um, we have as a church been exploring that question for a long time because we are a multiracial, multi-economic, socioeconomic, multi-generational church at Grace and Peace because it is historically Latino, but English speaking in an African-American community and with a growing um, Spanish speaking immigrant population. So now we're we're asking questions about building bridges and diversity and reconciliation and inclusion, but around, not around white and, but around people of color who have different experiences. So we've just been on a journey of asking questions and experimenting. Well, it sounds like, you know, a global perspective, like when you were talking about in in a church context, bringing in current events to a similar or a familiar song, a familiar practice and raising people's awareness. That's such a simple, simple step to some of these bigger, more complicated conversations that a church like yours is having and everything in between. I'm curious, you talked about being an author, and I know that you've written a lot about this, about worship. Your first book was called The Next Worship. Is that correct? Um, well, the first book I contributed to was a small group leader's handbook, actually. <laughs> um, and then the first book I wrote solo is called The Mission of Worship, which is an integration of global mission and worship. Like, how do those two connect? And then my first kind of 
larger full project is the next worship. Yeah. So I've been I've been on a journey as an author. <laughs> That's how it is, right? The the world of book publishing is a long haul journey for sure. Is the next worship the book where a lot of what you've just shared, people could learn more? Yeah. That's coming from that's coming from really the question of um what does it look like to worship God in a in a in a global in a global world. And it really isn't like, hey, I want to I'm a worship pastor and I want to make my worship more diverse, to include other people. Um, so how do I do that so they'll come? That's not what the book is about. The book is basically saying we are a global church. That is the body of Christ. And so what does it look like for us to form, to have faith formation that actually develops that that sense of identity in us, regardless of the demographic of your church? Hmm. So really from a global church perspective. Yeah, yeah. And it, a lot of the stories and a lot of the 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 mentoring I have had has actually been from global leaders, from folks in South Africa and in Uganda and in Egypt, um, obviously in Latin America. Hmm. What does it look like to have a, a global kind of spiritual identity? How do we even begin to wrap our minds around that? Ooh, oh, that's a good one. Uh, it's it's interesting because I just finished this last week teaching a class at North Park um, University on Luke and Acts. And one of the things that we have been studying in the book of Luke and Acts is the fact that the good news of of the gospel is for all nations, but that it was located in a particular space and it went out from that space. So what I think one of the things we can do is to, to be on that journey is to first identify that every part of our faith formation is located in a in a social location, in a cultural location, in a socioeconomic location, in a kind of family of origin location. So how we understand our faith and how we understand God and what we think is important to life is actually very formed by your place and space. Um, and therefore, when we think about if we if we can identify ourselves as that, so I'm a you know North American. Uh, you know, a, a Latina, North American, educated Christian who perceives things this way based off my location. Then when I encounter people from other spaces and places, I, I understand they have something to teach me. Um, but if I'm unable to say that I have a location, then I am kind of like, oh, this is just the church. The church is normal. It's suburban. It's, you know, whatever your denomination is. We come to church to be inspired. Um, and to learn things, and then we go out into the world and tell people about Jesus. If that's your understanding of faith, then it's that's very located because most people around the world go to church not to be inspired or instructed. They go to church for survival, to remember who they are in the context of persecution and poverty and war and all the things that the majority world is experiencing right now. Um, so we, it's not bad or worse, or it's just it's different. And the reasons we go to church may be different. The reasons we read scripture actually are different. <laughs> the reasons we're compelled to worship God are different. Um, so I think that is actually the starting place is we need to know where we're standing. And from the place we're standing, we can understand that people that don't plant their feet in that same location, they have something beautiful and distinct and challenging to offer. In this class with these 19-year-old uh, freshmen is that um, it's not just about, it's not about style and preferences. It's actually about how we understand why we're living in the world. Um, and to watch Paul through the book of Acts understand 
all of who he is and how all of that he's been through and all the kind of background pieces and experience have distinctly made him for this perfect thing that he's going to do, which is to live a life of suffering and, you know, confrontation, and all the things he's doing. Um, but as a dual citizen, as a bicultural person, all those things, I think they were, I, and I was very inspired as I continued to, to research and be an acts that we, you know, differences are not just about like, here's my preference and here's my style. It's about how we understand our faith. And um, if we were to study, for example, the book of Acts with a group of Christians from around the world, they would see what is clear in the book of Acts, which is that we don't live life how we want to live life. We live life um, in a way that is uh, attentive to God's spirit and taking risks and dangerous really for the, for the sake of, um, for the sake of the gospel being seen and experienced in the world around you. And, and so they, they went from like, uh, this is like a class on Bible study, uh, you know, kind of, <laughs> I have to take it to like, wow, I'm like, this is like the Christian life. I didn't know. I was like, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry for wherever you've been influenced by. But yeah, like th- this is what Paul is saying. He's saying, be attentive to who you are and what the Lord has allowed you to experience and what your passions are. And then um, live a life of dangerous worship that allows you to make a difference in the world. And I, I know we're, we're dealing with a generation that's incredibly ambitious. And I think, you know, some people may say that's a bad thing, but I think that's a good thing because I want to see the world change. I mean, I want to see different things in my neighborhood. Uh, I don't want to turn on the news and find out that just like my husband just sent me two texts, like a mother down the street was, was shot you know, walking down the street on a nice Sunday afternoon and a baby was found on a garbage can, you know, two blocks from where we are. I don't Mm. want to hear that on the news. I want a different world. Um, And so I would love to see a group of of people of faith who see their reason for living on this earth as, um, who have ambition to see the world differently, you know, and to be a part of that and to be a part of that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you're right. Um, who have big dreams and know how to accomplish them, make them happen. Yeah, I think that's definitely true of this next generation. Which leads me to maybe my last question for you, and that is the the topic of this podcast, um, the name of it, Fierce and Lovely, and how how you react to those two words. Um, Cause when you just describe what you want, the world you want to be a part of and the generation leading the charge, those are words that come to my mind, but I know that everyone reacts to them differently. So I'm curious how you receive those two words and how you see them to be true in your own life. Ooh, well, I mean, I love the world. I love the word fierce. I just love it. And I am around, um, particularly fierce women all day long in my neighborhood. I mean, women who have crossed countries, you know, um, on foot and with small children Hmm. who are relearning uh, life and language and uh, survival in a new context. Um, I I love the word fierce. I think that it describes the kind of community I live in and the kind of women that I do life with. It, it's what we need to be in order to stand against uh, complacency and apathy in the world around us. Um, I think we need to have that. I think we need to have a fierce passion for who God is and 
a fierce belief and hope that the world could be different. Um, and I think that we have to have uh, tough enough skin that when people uh, don't like what we have to say because it disrupts and disturbs them, um, that we have that kind of fierceness that Jesus himself and Paul and others, um, so Ruth, so many people in the scriptures just said, no, this is the right thing to do. This is the right way to be. And I guess I love that word. Um, so I don't have a problem with that word. Lovely. Um, I like lovely. It feels soft. I don't know. Um, it's hard for me. I, my mom used to say to me growing up, like, why can't you just be like a flower? You know, like, but in Spanish, like, why can't you just be like a flower? I'm like, what do you mean? <laughs> um, because I seem to always be, um, pushing forward on something, you know, and I, I told my husband, you know, I want to be the kind of lovely or flowery, uh, or lovely flower I want to be is like those exotic flowers that look like they're going to stab you, but they're beautiful. <laughs> um, or they're so bright, you have to come and see them. But then you realize that, you know, they, they kind of look dangerous at the same time and you're not quite sure. So you know which ones I'm talking about? The orange ones that look like little sticks. And I don't know what they're called. But um, I think that fierce and lovely reminds me of those types of flowers, like mm. flowers from Hawaii and Colombia and these kind of tropical flowers that look um, that look beautiful and attractive um, and lovely um, and have beauty in them, but they also um, their petals don't fall off right away, you know. <laughs> um, so if I could use them, I because I grew up, my mom told me all my life, like, why can't you be like a flower? And I'm like, I don't understand that, mom. I am trying to do something in the world, and. Um, and that doesn't feel always accepted. And particularly as a woman, it doesn't feel accepted. Um, and so I'm trying to be faithful. I'm not trying to be flowery. I'm trying to be faithful. And um, so I think both those words combined could be beautiful. Yeah. Well, I've, I've just been fascinated to hear different perspectives on, on that word lovely. And oftentimes it's from women who have experienced um, – a need to fight for space to be heard or to be respected or to have equality or dignity where they're a little more bristly towards the word lovely. Um, and, you know, I, I hear that word, I picture it, my definition of it is creating life and beauty. And so we're reflecting the creator as we bring forth life in all that we do. And we do that through our fierceness, for sure. I hear of the way that you live in your community, the way that you lead forth in the, the places where you have a voice. And I think that's what you're doing. You are creating life. You are um, resurrecting dead thoughts. You are resurrecting stale ways. You are um, lifting people's eyes to a bigger vision of the world and their place in it and the God storyline. I think that is creating life and that is lovely. Um, sorry, that's my little rant. But I think people too often hear it and they think beauty, they think dainty, they think perhaps what your mom you know, yeah. was thinking and that's not at all what I'm imagining. Um, I see you and I see a fierce and lovely woman. Yeah. Maybe I would say sparkly. I always, <laughs> I always tell my husband, like, when we go out, I must be the sparkliest, shiniest woman around. So my mom taught me that. She's Colombian. That's how they are, you know, um, like the biggest jewelry, the sparkly. So I love beautiful. I love beauty. And I love 
all the things, you know, like I'm not afraid of what people would say is too, it's too feminine or whatever. Like I love all that. Um, and so I think if you could hold those two to get together, then awesome. Yeah. yeah. So much, so many times we're asked to choose. It's as if they're in opposition, but I think, yeah, those of us that, and women, we create life. I mean, we create life everywhere we go. So I think if, if we're creating and sustaining and kind of, you know, creating beauty and then we're doing it through that kind of courage and fierceness. Yeah. I love that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, Sandra, thanks so much for just giving me a snapshot of all that you're, you're about just your expertise in, in that. Thanks for sharing with us today and for coming on this podcast. Thanks for having me. Well, friends, you never know the full story behind a podcast episode. Do you? If you could only see the spaces where both Sandra and I were recording, if you only knew that this was the fourth attempt after so many technical difficulties, I'm so glad that we stuck with it and that we were able to record this conversation. Uh, you can find out uh, where Sandra is speaking next. Uh, you can find more information about her books and all the things that she has on the horizon um, through the links in the show notes. And I encourage you to follow her and um, see where she might intersect your path in the future. Uh, thanks again for joining me on this Fierce and Lovely podcast and wrestling with some of these topics alongside of me and my guests. Thanks for engaging um, even the words fierce and lovely. And I'm so curious about that for you and what you're discovering along the way. Would love for you to leave a note somewhere for me, either on my various social media platforms or uh, in the review on iTunes. As a reminder, I'm taking the month of June off and hope to bring you on the road uh, series in July. Have a great summer. This is Beth Bruno, and you've been listening to the Fierce and Lovely Podcast.